and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host Rebecca. In this episode we'll be talking to Bold Voices founder Natasha and facility lead Yosh. Bold Voices is an organisation that provides education to end gendered equality and gender-based violence. We talk about why it's important to have these conversations with young people so that we can move to a more preventative approach rather than a reactionary one. We also discuss why it's important to have this conversation with both boys and girls and that we need to look at representation not just in traditional media like TV and films but in the media that young people are consuming such as social media like Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube and much more. Natasha will also take us through why she decided to set up this CIC and building a team and getting bold voices to where it is today. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor Work For Good. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Now, it's time for our guests, Natasha and Josh. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Not at all. We're really excited. Yeah. So we wouldn't usually be together. We've just been delivering a talk in a school. So we would like it's easier just to jump on and and do it with you. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Um, yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and talk maybe a bit about what Bold Voices does? And yeah, we yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, so yeah, hi everyone who's listening. Um, my name is Tash. I'm the founder at Bold Voices. And here at Bold Voices, we deliver education on gender inequality and gender-based violence in schools and universities across the UK. Um, hi everyone also who's listening. Um, my name's Yosh, so I'm the facilitation lead at Bold Voices. So really I just like do a lot of the, I guess, like on the ground, going out to schools, delivering a lot of our content, whether that's talks, workshops, yeah, a lot of the in-person and virtual like stuff, working directly with like young people. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my part. That's great. And something I noticed is that you guys decided to be a CIC and not a charity. Was that like a, a deliberate choice? And- yeah, it definitely was. It was a it was a process at the beginning of working out where we wanted to go and what what we wanted to do. Um, but I think it was also a very like it was a personal thing as well because when I started Bold Voices, I was in a network of a lot of other young kind of entrepreneurs and young people who were starting businesses, and it was very like startup focused, very like fast growth, high scale focus, which is never what I wanted for Bold Voices, but that was kind of what I was surrounded by. So in a way, the charity world felt quite far away from the kind of network that I was within and the people that were around. Um, And I was very excited by the idea of like building a business that was for profit, um, but also for good. So I think finding like knowing and understanding and learning about social enterprises was the lovely way to like bridge the gap between doing good and having a business that is really focused at its core is about impact but at the same time being able to run the business in a business way so it was a really nice bridge between the two and I think also the more I learned about 
all different forms of businesses and how you can grow them. The more I thought I don't want to be within the kind of bureaucracy of charity, but I want to feel like I can um, show people that impact is important uh, without having the kind of constraints that often come with, with within the charity sector. So that was sort of the decision that um, that I came to. And it's one that we're kind of still constantly um, evaluating, you know, a lot of um, my networks within the social enterprise world often shift and become charities later on down the line so that's something that I'm always aware of thinking you know maybe that there'll come a point where that's right for us but right now the social enterprises is the right structure yeah that makes sense uh, to choose like a model that suits you guys for where you are and I guess how did you decide on I guess what good cause you wanted to do like how did you um what issues did you see and what led you to create bold voices yeah, so I think for me, it was very much one of those, the issue was there that I was passionate about. And then I decided to start a business after that, if that makes sense, rather than like, I want to start mm. a business, what should I do it on? So for me, it was it was that way around as a founder. Yeah. But um, it was also, it was a, it was education and awareness for me that led me to gender as a topic that I was passionate about and a cause that I wanted to work around. So I did a, a master's in gender and international relations. And although I was already interested in these issues, I didn't really have a proper awareness of the of the the problem that existed at a kind of structural level until I did that that study until I did that master's so that really for me was a super transformational year and it left me with this feeling of like why did I not have access to this learning sooner like why is it taken till a post-grad level to have access to that kind of education so that's when I started to look at schools and think what is going on in schools are schools aware that this is something that they should be talking about that a lens that they should be introducing to young people uh and you know, it was quite clear straight away that it was not something, but there was a need for it. So it it started that way around and it started more that, okay, I can see a need for this. And I was really passionate about the issue. And then, and then we sort of grew from there. But I also, I don't know about you, how obviously Josh yeah. came, joined after we started. So for me, it was less like <clears throat> the academia side of things, I guess, mm-hmm. led me to, to start working for what voices and like fall in love with, with the cause itself. It was more the silencing element, like culturally, I'm I'm North African and, and where I come from and my family and my upbringing was very, there was a clear culture of silence towards these issues and towards topics of gender, topics of um, sex and relationships and all of those sorts of like topics were very tabooed. And so I think for me, it was finding something where the whole core of it is facilitating conversations and creating conversations and, and getting rid of that silence and that like that taboo like I said so yeah it was it was that that really made me fall in love with 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 bold voices because it was it's some it's an organization that is solely to like bring like bring light to these issues and help like we go in and we just help people talk about them and we make it a bit easier for them and that's what I wish I'd had like growing up um on multiple levels at school and also just like at home and yeah so that was definitely the element that more the cultural silence and then I guess like the lack of like for you like so your master's like it was mm. less the like accessibility to the education than it was like the cultural silencing yeah and I guess when I was um researching you guys I was actually quite surprised by the figures and stuff that you talk about on your website and I'm sure we'll get to a bit later in the podcast and it's definitely something that needs to be talked a lot more about in schools and so I'm, gl- I'm glad you guys are doing it <laughs> <laughs> so um had you guys ever I guess worked in a social enterprise before like 
did you have any experience of doing anything similar to bold voices before you started this and I had no experience <laughs> um, I I worked for I did a, an internship at an organization called women in foreign policy which was probably the closest thing uh to what we do now so women in foreign policy were an organization they're a charity now um and it was kind of a community-based organization trying to support women who wanted to get into foreign policy in all sorts of different jobs whether that's from um like politics to journalism to all sorts of different routes so I did a like six month internship there and that was kind of my only experience I then like jumped straight into starting World Voices so went in very with very little experience um which I mean there are benefits and 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 kind of disadvantages to that mm. um yeah what about you no yeah like, <laughs> I, I came just out of uni so I actually started working bold vo- with bold voices just before I finished my diss um yeah I didn't and like anything else I'd done I'd been like like amnesty groups at school which is just like not what you asked <laughs> but that's just me flexing on behalf of me um yeah no that's like n- nothing on the scale nothing I mean difficult having difficult conversations I guess I'd had a lot of practice in because of just speaking to my family and like having like problematic friends which everyone has but like that's that's about it not nothing on the scale of like I've never been backed with this much like knowledge and education so nothing near no to answer questions (laughs) (laughs) well I guess that brings me on to my next question like as you didn't have as much experience starting Bold Voices how did you sort of go from the idea to creative bold voices to um sort of securing your first like project because I know a lot of people out there are probably thinking oh I have this idea like I want to you know see it through like what's that process like it was definitely just about getting into a school and trying and you know having those conversations so I was very lucky because my old school where I was for 10 years so I knew the school really well and they were really really supportive of what I was doing so I got to go and kind of um, give some talks speak to the young people speak to the staff about this problem see what what would work do some workshops and like get a feel for how um, how these things would would play out in a school and and luckily it went really well and quite a few of the the teachers at that school um, emailed like friends of theirs who were in other schools or like old schools they've been at to say you need to have this talk you need to have this workshop so it kind of grew by word of mouth from there um but I guess the the most important thing was starting you can spend ages for, with what we do in terms of like providing a service you can spend our, our talks are never finished our workshops are never finished and even years on we are still constantly working editing changing keeping our research up to date and our methods and activities up to date so nothing is ever perfect and those first talks and workshops were far from perfect but you just have to go and do it and particularly with social impact measure measure the impact of it so right at the start we did surveys before and after all our talks and workshops so we got like a to see if there was a change in perspective a change in understanding uh, and that was so important right from the word go so even if you know it's not polished you want to find out what worked and what didn't so that you can keep the, the bits that worked and work on the bits that weren't so great mm. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess, so at the beginning, it just started off with you, I'm guessing, Natasha? Yeah. 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 So then how did you go about, I guess, creating a a team of people to sort of continue on? Um, Well, initially, so prior to when things kind of took off for for us as a business, so for the first... um, guess it was almost two and a half years, bearing in mind that COVID was a lot of that as well. It was very, it was, it was quite, 
it was quite it was hard work trying to get into schools there was a lot of trying to do sales and it was, it was difficult and obviously COVID very much like exacerbated that as it did for a lot of businesses and really changed all industries but the education sector was obviously a completely different space during um, lockdowns and things like that so that was a lot of hard work um and at that time, it was more about what volunteers came to us. So we spent a lot of time building community, um, and a community of young people in particular online who were passionate about these issues. And so we had a lot of young people messaging the Bold Voices Instagram saying, this is amazing. What can I do? How can I get involved? Um, so initially, when we were still very early days, um, not revenue generating yet, um, we used a lot of young people that were passionate that wanted to run events and projects and blog posts and things like that. So that was very much at the beginning people coming to us and then last year when things sort of took off um Yosh I mean Yosh came to us through kind of word of mouth we sort of already knew each other and she was coming up to the end of her um degree and I guess it was a process of suddenly things took off and we had to I had to find someone very quickly who could help out um and Yosh was like amazing and then she ended up staying on board um and then all the hires that we've done since then have all been through promoting through our networks of other social enterprises and people that work in the sector, but generally just our community. A lot of um, the facilitators that we have now were following us, came to events, were like part of our community. And then um, when we said that we were hiring facilitators, they all like applied and that's how we kind of found them. Um, so we have a lot of people that are within that community that follow what we do and support what we do, who then wanted to come and work with us, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, because I did notice that a lot of... Um your team is quite young so it makes sense that you know they were really part of the, the community as a whole and you have majority women as well yeah. is that just because you're the community that you guys have built is mainly women or is that just by choice or I mean it's probably a mixture of a few things. We, we're certainly, particularly with our facilitators who we're, when we're going into schools talking <laughs> about these issues to young people, um, we really want more representation yeah. of, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, of boys in there because it's so important. We're spe spending half our time talking to boys and we want them to see that this is a conversation that they are a part of and that they can they can take the lead in sometimes as well. Mm. So, I mean, we do have a male facilitator. He's, a, he's incredible. Um, it, it is hard to find men who want to work in this area though. Um, you know, it's not one that a lot of men think is for them. And mm. Part of that problem is, is, you know, is the misconceptions around what it is that we're talking about um, and not having had a chance to have those conversations before means a lot of men and boys are reluctant to get into that space. So, um, yeah, I guess it's less of like a conscious decision and more of like, OK, we're working on this topic, which is very specific to women and marginalised genders. Therefore, yeah, that often. sometimes we find that getting like we've really been like trying to sort of find different ways of, of bringing more boys and men on board. And sometimes we feel like the best way for us to do that is when we build those like connections with them in person. So we even like, we meet a lot of incredible young men from like sixth form, like sort of age that are, that through our time that we spend with them in like face-to-face -face workshops, by the end of it, we're like, you would actually be like an incredible facilitator for this conversation. Not only because you represent like, obviously your gender but also the way that you would connect with lots of other young boys and men like would be amazing and it's like it's just so difficult for us to almost like promote that when we come to like like in our when we send out like not ads but like what do you know what I mean like on our Instagram when like we're looking for someone that sort of connection is hard to get across 
online and so it's just difficult because we almost need like networking like events specifically for that like to because like getting people on board and getting young men and boys on board happens so much easier we find in person and like when we form those like connections with them so yeah it's just difficult (laughs) (laughs) no I can imagine I know um other sort of social enterprises and charities have a similar issue of getting the correct amount of um not correct but a, a more even amount yeah. of men and women on onto certain topics um I wanted to talk a bit more about uh some of your programs so you do a program on um pupils creating change in this within their schools which I think is really interesting why did you decide to make it pupil-led and not just go straight to the teachers I guess I think for us it's like obviously acknowledging the, the the role of the staff is massive like the fact that change within school cultures and school communities isn't going to happen if the staff aren't modeling that change is really really important which is why actually we always any school we work with we really try and embed that culture first with the staff acknowledging that like they need to be showing that this is an important topic and modeling that this is something we're going to now speak about and try and make change towards but also so much of like the fabric of the culture at any school is the way that the young people interact with each other and we like the one of the biggest reasons we'd really try and focus on them is the fact that we don't want to just ignore how much they are shaping each other I feel like it's so easy to be like follow these rules that we're now going to put in place like don't do this because it's wrong but if like young people don't aren't as scared of authority as they are of like shaming each other and that's a massive part of us like understanding that we need to change the attitudes of young people if if, because they're going to change each other's attitudes it's not laws it's not rules in schools like schools have always had rules schools have always had like no sexist language rules but it doesn't mean that it's not used so it's like we understand that staff and school structures play play in a really important role in bringing a light how important these issues are but any like sort of change within the community and the culture of a school is going to come within the students because they're shaping each other so much more than we want to give credit to because that can be scary being like we're actually not as directly involved as they are with each other that's a scary thing to like acknowledge but it's also powerful so yeah try and do that yeah yeah and um what do you think makes people feel empowered and what do you think makes them feel unempowered I guess specifically like empowered I think it's understanding that their gut feeling that something is a bit off is actually right and being backed up by empirical evidence so a lot of what we do is giving them like stats and data so that they can then use that next time they feel like something's off but they don't quite have the like language for it or the like stats for it so obviously you like education being number one um then it's community it's so amazing for us when we see when we're sat with like a group of young people and one of them has said something that's a bit like they're not sure if everyone around them agrees that it actually is upsetting or it's or it's harmful and then they people do start agreeing and that that instant element of like okay I'm not the only one that feels like this I've just always been too scared to say it Mm -hmm. so when they're backed up with that education with that knowledge it's then the sense of community that they find within each other where they actually agree and so it's trying to bring together create a, a space that is open enough for people to make that first step when they feel backed enough by that education to sort of say that thing that maybe would have been like they would have been like x for before or they would have that would have been like judged and to create that community where it's okay to like to view or show your view that you agree um so yeah I definitely say like education and community in terms of like unempowered I would say specifically with a lot of the boys and men we work with it's the fear of being like cancelled it's that like like resistance to say anything because cancel culture plays such a role in how young people are now speaking to each other especially like online that no one wants to say the wrong thing which also 
because their language being policed so much, no one is saying anything. So you're not going to hear people's like views. You're not going to hear where potentially they need to unpack a certain view or certain attitude. You're not going to hear where it's coming from. So yeah, I'd say unempowered. It's definitely the like hyper policing of language and hyper policing of certain attitudes where obviously we don't want to be encouraging harmful attitudes, but we need to know that they exist for us to like work on them and talk about them. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else you think makes people unempowered. The only other thing I would add in is on how the environments that young people are in respond when they come forwards about something and we've seen we work with dozens of different schools around the UK and we see the different responses when young people speak up about issues and how that shapes how empowered they feel to continue that conversation and to continue coming forwards and sharing things that happen and and you know we 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 often come across lots of um very like very horrific and sad like safeguarding issues but we also come across the daily languages and attitudes and in the schools where young people feel like they can report every little thing and that will be followed up on and it will be processed in the right way that's when they feel empowered because they feel supported by that structure around them and that's not about like one teacher or two teachers that's the that's the whole school backing that topic and that issue and and treating it seriously and taking each individual issue as um as important as the last one so that for us from a kind of school structures perspective is so important for young people and probably not something that young people even realize themselves but is massive yeah and do you think there are more schools with that sort of structure or less um I think we're getting there with a lot of schools but up until last year there was very little awareness across the education sector that these were issues that were facing young people as much as they are Mm. Um, and really it wasn't until March 2021 that that this realization hit home and everyone's invited and all the testimonies from young people um sharing their experiences of harassment and and assault as well um that's that was really the turning point for a lot of schools and there was the the Ofsted review one of which the most powerful things that came out of that review was the idea that even when you've got no reports of issues within your school, you should assume it's happening there. Mm. And that was something before that that kind of statement was made. A lot of schools saying, oh, you know, we haven't got any reports. This is not happening here. So I think that re- that shift is happening and it, it's and it, it's getting there. But we, we're also aware with the with this issue and any other issue, schools have got so much that they carry on their shoulders mm. that they're trying mm. to deal with young people. You yeah. know, it's not just this issue. It's a myriad of other issues as well. So we know it, it takes time to put these processes in place and develop that training for staff in the school mm. more widely as well. And that's one of the reasons why we run staff training and that support to support schools with developing that knowledge. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And hopefully um, more schools will um, sort of get on board with all of this. Um, I guess one of my questions is why focus on young people aged 15 to 25? Why not a bit younger? Why not a bit older? Like, What's interesting about this is more and more actually we we've started now to work with like younger so we've we've been doing a lot of like year seven sort of like 11 12 years old okay I think at the beginning it was almost like that we were a bit tentative a bit like not scared but because these are such big issues and unpacking cultures of gender-based violence is not something that most 11 year olds like I mean I wish but like most 11 year olds are like aware of and are ready to like sort of absorb that information and for us it was like because we found it so easy like to speak to six formers and adults and like so more sort of a, around the like 18 to 25 year group you can make it quite hard hitting because part of like how 
impactful this conversation is, is how hard hitting it can be. And for a lot of people, that's how they start to internalize issues and start to like, not internalize, I guess, like just take them seriously and, and try and bring them to light more. But with working with younger people, it's not, you can't have that same element of like shock with like big stats around like rape culture or anything like that, because that's, that's too much for them to like process. So it's how do you have the same impact without that sort of like raw, very challenging data to like, to unpack. Mm. And then, but we found it like it, it came with a little bit of time, like really with young people, we work on language and attitudes and, and pop culture and working on the fundamentals that are sort of the foundation to all of these cultures in the first place, which actually makes the most sense anyway, because that's where everything starts. Um, so we've been loving working with like 11 year olds and like 12 year olds recently, because they've just, they're so open. And so that defensiveness is just not there yet. They're so willing to like absorb anything really and trying like their brain is still like forming which it continues to do so but just without that like social pressure of having to really back up the way you like you wear the way you feel they're just they just want to learn so as much as we have been focusing so far I guess on 15 25 roles we're really starting to see the value of like working with younger and we've even gone we've done some primary school work which is they're so sweet um (laughs) working with younger ones to talk about gender stereotypes and gendered language and attitudes and really get them to um start thinking about gender from that young age one of the questions that we get asked when we do work with parents is how young can we start talking about these issues with them Mm. and my answer is just literally from the day that um your child is born you can start talking about gender and okay you're not going to talk about gender-based violence but you can talk about gender gender stereotypes language language you can talk about consent with toddlers you can talk about um like sharing toys you can talk about who like giving each other a hug or a kiss and like do they want that have they have they said yes that you know you can talk about these things from literally day dot and if you do that it's embedded into your conversation with young people and then that as they grow older that's a conversation that's really normal for them so for me I absolutely I'm so excited to see these younger generations coming through who have started to have these conversations Mm. in school and at home um to see how different it is in like five ten years time as they come through school it's going to be really exciting exciting yeah yeah 100 I've definitely noticed I guess a bit of a shift from when I was at school which wasn't that long ago but, but um, from when I was at school where nobody really spoke about that to I guess now from my, when my sister's at school and that change of um, starting to talk about things like consent and that type of stuff and, and I do really believe that the earlier you can talk about these issues the better it is so then children don't go through life thinking how do I talk about this? What does this mean? Yeah. But yeah, they can ask questions more easily, I think. Um, yeah, you just spoke about, I guess, parents and um, what they can do. But I guess for quite a few of them, they're probably thinking, but how do I start these conversations? Like, how do I not make it a big deal? I guess, do you have any tips that you can give them or, or anything like that? Yeah. Um, We always say, well, there's a few things. So you don't need to jump in with the like heavy, scary conversation of like, let's talk about sex or let's talk about sexual harassment, sexual violence. Start with talking about gender more broadly. Start with using like pop culture, the media as like the way in. I think a lot of parents think that potentially you have to sit down and talk about something that your like teenager or your child has gone through. Definitely not. Like you can start talking about it as a topic without making it personal. And that's what we do a lot in our with our learning is like using pop culture in the media. Recently, every single workshop we 
we've been in, young people have asked about Mason Greenwood, for example, um, as an example of a very high profile case in the media at the moment around relationship abuse that lots of young people are talking about. That's a great way in to talk about these issues without it being personal. Um, and there's so much stuff that's been happening in the media over the last year and so many, so much amazing pop culture that's out there as well. Everything from like sex education to I May Destroy You to with younger ones, like Never Have I Ever, like all these like different Netflix shows and, and BBC shows that are making that conversation more accessible. So using those kind of um, examples as a way to start that conversation and normalize it within the house. There are a couple of other things as well. Have that conversation when your teenagers and children are around, but don't necessarily put them on the spot with it. So often we say like, mm-hmm. talk about it with your partner or your friend or your family who's around so that it, they get used to it without them feeling like they have to be part of it straight away. And then you can start to ask them their opinion on things and what do they think? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is think about the environment that you're in. Often when we're having these quite serious conversations, we often think we need to be sitting down and having face a conversation face to face, but actually often doing things when you're not face to face. So like when you're driving or you're walking or you're cooking, when you're doing something where you don't feel like you're being watched and there's kind of activity can be a much better environment to have conversations that are difficult. Um, so yeah, those are a few tips there of, of how you can start that conversation. No, I think those are brilliant. And I think, um, I guess me thinking about my sister, I guess even I could probably have those conversations with her because I am a bit older than her and not try and make it so scary. Um, yeah. And you spoke about, I guess, popular culture and you do a, a course called Popular Culture and the Media. Do you think, and this is a question I've been hearing a lot recently, do you think it's become more representative of the world that we live in and do you think it's I guess now portraying uh sexual violence and gender-based violence um issues in a better way I honestly I'd love to see (laughs) they've done it they've done it finally (laughs) I think I think it's getting there I think there's actually there's a lot more that's bringing light to more like realistic depictions of sexual violence, like things like I May Destroy You, which in no way glamorizes mm. um, or glorifies like violence against women. I think there's more and more things that that have tried to stop like doing that and actively like stopped doing that. But the, I guess the issue comes in like, what we're fight what they're fighting against is a plethora of very like old and established media and pop culture that's the foundations of all of it what it's rooted on is a lot of these attitudes like a lot of music that that like a lot of tiktok challenges like viral youtube challenges all of these things that like young people are immersed in more regularly than sitting down and watching a series that's the sort of thing is like a lot of them the movements towards like better representation are in like movies or like documentaries or like series when it's like that's all good and well but that's someone that sat down taking the time out so more the most of the time the people who are choosing to watch these things have already sort of started this conversation like amongst themselves what, what we're saying is if only Michaela Cole yeah. made all the TikTok, TikTok content, yeah that's exactly fine. what I'm saying <laughs> 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 I mean, brilliant. Yeah. but it's, it's, it's the little and often that's that's the the major issue really like the the TikTok consumption of like hours spent on like multiple TikToks that are all feeding into the same trend for example which is based on like objectification it's the like music that we're listening to the three minutes long that's got multiple references to violence against women but you're listening to it on so it's like the little and often patterns instead of like 
the big like movies or series that are coming out for me anyway so I, I I'd love to say that yes I think more of what's happening for sure and also just a shift towards like things like trends all the like smaller things a shift towards first recognizing like there's there has before there's a movement to start shaping the new culture the new pop culture and media that's happening there has to be one where we first recognize the issue and really access that's what we aim to do is we always say at the end of a workshop if the next time you listen to that song and you're like oh, I don't know about that actually that's enough like to take away from today because that has to happen before it has to be a bottom-up like situation we have to start recognizing that what we're listening to is damaging what we're watching is damaging before we expect the create the creators and the content creators to to like shape that around us it's yeah and I guess that's reflective of the fact that a lot of those parts of pop culture that you just mentioned are created by the consumers themselves which is what TikTok like YouTube like all that social media you haven't got the Michaela Cole sitting there creating it with their like understanding and and unpacking of it so the more that we consume pop culture that's been created by other people that don't haven't necessarily thought about these issues in that nuanced critical way the more that those issues become reinforced in that exactly yeah mm-hmm. so I suppose yeah as you said it's it's there is progress but there's yeah. also a long way to go yeah. <laughs> yeah do you know I never thought about about it like that because I guess whenever I think of representation I do always think tv film mm-hmm. that type of media but realistically I have loads of friends that don't even own a tv they don't watch that type of media at all. Like it's all YouTube, it's all TikTok. And they are, I guess there are a lot of trends and and a lot of um, videos that are, I guess, so damaging. Like, I don't know if this is true, but I did hear that TikTok had an algorithm that um, promoted videos which they thought the people in it were more attractive wow. and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they've got rid of it now. Yeah, but yeah, and so yeah, you really got to look at, I guess, media as a whole and not just those two things. Um, I guess this is a bit of a big question, but um, what do you think are the factors causing, I guess, sexual sexual violence and gender-based violence to be so high in, I guess, the age group that you're working in? There's a lot of things like I think that I don't think there's one I can't give you like one certain stone answer there's a lot of factors that we always like talk about and consider the first of which sort of to preface before any answer to that to like a question like that is more that these sorts of violences have been happening for years like sexual violence has been prevalent amongst like many age groups for a very long time it's just that the way it's manifesting more recently has become reflective of what we're relying on which is the digital world so I think what's one of the reasons that it can feel exacerbated is because we're comparing it to more overt like forms of like sexual harassment online like no I guess it wouldn't have been online at the time but like sexual harassment that we're used to maybe um not as not to say that it, though like it's gotten we I just don't I personally don't feel like it's gotten significantly more within that age group than it has that the ways it's happening are more shocking to a lot of people because it's not things we're used to because of the fact that that they're manifesting through like digital like the digital sphere which we're not used to Mm. so I'd say that it's it's less that sexual harassment sexual violence is more common within this age group like now it's more that the ways that those issues are manifesting are different it's also that we 
are talking about it more and recognizing mm. things as harassment and violence more. I mean, a lot mm. of things that we now know to be and talk about as harassment and violence, yeah. even 20 years ago, you t- I talk so much to older, older women who say, mm. yeah, those things were happening all the time, but we didn't we didn't class them as harassment or violence. Like they were just normal everyday experiences that we just put up with. And so I think it's not that they've necessarily again got worse. It's just now we're talking about them and we're noticing them. We're recognizing them. We're labeling them as harassment and violence in a way that however many decades ago, we wouldn't have done that. And even my, like I look back on my time at school and I can see things that happened at the time, which now I know were wrong. And at the time I had no idea. And that was only, that was like 10 years ago. And that wasn't that long ago. Um, And you forget about things as well because you normalize them so if something happens you can you brush it off at the time you normalize it you think oh that's just how it is and a couple of years later you've completely forgotten that happened so I think a lot of the time for adults they look at this generation who are growing up now and they say oh this is horrendous forgetting that they probably went through a lot of those same experiences and just normalize them forgot that they happened or process them in a different way so it's it's definitely as you said, it's it's different. Obviously, we're seeing the rise of online sexual harassment and abuse in a way that has obviously never existed before because of the digital sphere. But those in-person violences have been happening for as long as time, essentially. Yeah. So just that's, was, yeah, it's harder to like bring to light. But I guess to, to go back to like specifically the age group and I like particularly like young people at school. Yeah. There's multiple factors that affect like the the like. Ex- the fact that these issues are exacerbated within that year like those few ages the like very formative like young years part of that falls back a lot on like again who's shaping the fact that they're all shaping each other so that peer on peer like respect that that young people really feel like they need to to have amongst each other the fact that they like drawing boundaries and going out like trying to sort of draw those lines and and make what you're comfortable you're not comfortable with clear when you're at school is a lot more difficult people would like don't give that enough credit that Mm -hmm. as a young person you care so much more about what your peers think of you than you do teachers than you do your parents I didn't care what my parents Mm -hmm. as much as I cared about my friends and my like sort of support and my peer relations and so it's like that being a massive part of these issues going like unnoticed for ages because people aren't as comfortable drawing boundaries when they're that young because they don't a don't have the language to do so be that peer like respect and like being liked is is too important um and that's not going to change so we need to I guess stop expecting young people to just like do the right thing instead of getting them to understand like why it is right not just that you need to just follow it because if the rest don't agree they're not gonna do it um Mm. yeah and again I'd say just how easily shaped young people are by like what's what's trending and what's what's popular and what's like hot then then and there because otherwise you're left behind and you're not keeping up with the latest that trend no matter how harmful it could be a lot of the games we say see like day-to-day in the language that's used like it's difficult for them to stop doing it because then they'd be that one person that stopped doing it so yeah again just how much they they shape each other during those years I'd say is a big big part of that yeah and I I do sort of look at um, young people now and I do sort of think, oh my gosh, it must be so hard because they <laughs> not only have the pressure like in person, but they also have the pressure on social media as well. And you have to be this person, I guess, almost like a brand of yourself, like all the time and constantly trying to fit in. So yeah, it must be really hard for them. Um, I guess what is one... Um, 
thing that you you're surprised that isn't taught in schools or like what's one bit of knowledge that you think should be taught I guess everywhere um we really like this question. yeah we really <laughs> like this question. <laughs> good fun yeah <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of things so but the one that we has come out of our conversations with young people the most is active listening so how to have a conversation like with someone not caring as much that you come out of it right and not caring as much that you come out of it as having made the best points but with the genuine intention to understand what they are saying and how it's affected them young people I think are so like and actually it's not even young people people are so like bad at having a conversation that where they're not the whole time someone else is speaking they're not just thinking what they're going to say next and that's really difficult to do because everything we're, we're like told to do from a really young age is like to sort of get our point across. How do you make yourself really clear? How do you speak clearly, write peel paragraphs at school that get your point across? It's all very like, how do I make myself come across the best? It's not, how do I listen? Like, how do I sit back and let someone speak and let and take in what they're saying? Um, and that comes into like any, not just like gender, it comes into any sort of social justice, like movement, any anything really like, empathy being at like the core of that and Mm. Tash always like we both really try before anything it's just like if you're going to take anything away from today it's just try be empathetic Mm. and we yeah well I was just gonna say I was like you're taking mine sorry (laughs) um no but building on that is that like being able to have difficult conversations that aren't about debate Mm. and empathy again like as you're saying is at the core of that so you're taught like you go to like you you set up debates at school about mm. difficult conversations but we spend a lot of time trying to unlearn that with young people saying this is not a debate you you're not winning or losing this conversation particularly because usually those people that approach that conversation as a win or lose conversation have got the least to lose in it they don't yeah. actually have anything to lose like if you're de- if you're debating about sexual harassment and sexual violence and you yourself are not as vulnerable to it as somebody else who's having that conversation for whatever reason whether that's because of your gender but also because of your race your class your disability your sexuality if you're debating that person that's not an equal you've not you're not arriving at that conversation with equal lived experience and mm-hmm. understanding and and you don't have as much at stake in that conversation and in the outcome of it so for us we spend a lot of time like this is not a debate it's a conversation and it can get quite heated and it can be quite and it does and that's kind of that's part of it these are difficult conversations and they're personal but you're not going to win or lose it instead like how can you walk away exactly as you said like having listened and understood someone else's perspective and empathy is so central to that and I think empathy in and of itself is so gendered because as Mm. a society we think women and girls are naturally empathetic and we think that men and boys are naturally not empathetic and so we spend Mm. our whole time bringing up girls to be kind and to listen and to nurture and to be empathetic and to boys we we essentially say it's not in your biology therefore we don't expect that of you which is such a disservice to boys and men as well because obviously that's not true um so empathy in itself is so gendered and also such a big important part of this skill that we can hone and and work on in order to have these conversations in a more productive way yeah um I was gonna ask the question um why do you think it's important to speak to both genders about this but you basically just answered it there yeah Yeah. (laughs) but yeah that is it's so true because I I there are so many times when you're having conversations with people and it's like but I'm right and this is my point of view but actually 
it is just best to sometimes just sit back and listen and just sort of understand and I guess because my mum's a counsellor she's always like so <laughs> let's listen let's talk about yeah. <laughs> um yeah so I guess um my question for you is so you've created bold voices and you've put into action something that you've um you really care about what would you say is uh someone else trying to realize their dream like you know what what advice and tips would you give them yeah um I mean I feel like there's so many isn't there but they're also ones that everyone everyone always says but I think um getting support I looking back now at how far Bob Voices has come but also how much of it and it was I'm not going to like pretend like it was all easy because it definitely wasn't I also think that's also Mm. harmful like you know you can just start a business and it's all going to go great because obviously it's not like that and there were many many years of not earning a salary of a lot of so much energy and time going into a business that I was never even sure if it was going to ever be able to pay me a salary or succeed so it's it's really tough and you have to have the right people around you to support you and believe in you and if it wasn't for really like my close family my partner and close friends who never ever doubted that bold voices wouldn't be successful they there was never a doubt there was never a hesitancy and I don't know how they had such belief I genuinely don't (laughs) know because I'm like that is impressive that they believed in it when I was I was always doubting like is this the right thing is it going to work you know you do as the founder when you're day in day out trying to like get it get it going um so you have to have those people those champions and they don't have to be super close to you either I've also got amazing mentors like business mentors who always believed in Bob Voices too but you find other people who believe in what you're doing and and keep them close to you because you need them when the going gets tough um and then the other thing is just not to wait to start I think there's this idea that I don't know although at the same time timing is so important but like don't don't wait (laughs) don't wait if you've got an idea and you're passionate about it then do it like you'll always put it off for some some reason like this is not the right time for xyz but sometimes you just have to start um and see and you know see where see where it takes you um but yeah I mean I could there is so much more but I feel like there are people who are better qualified to give tips on getting like started. <laughs> I've never found anything <laughs> but but I, you know what it is to what I mean you might have not have founded Bold Voices but Josh has put so many hours into Bold Voices into a difficult like topic and like what would you say to someone that wanted to work on a cause that mm. can be difficult for me it's like when especially with something like anything that's social justice related because it's so heavy and it's so upsetting naturally and, and you work in the sector because you care find a way that it makes you happy and that's really hard to do because talking about gendered violence doesn't make anybody happy naturally but for me it's like uh, humor and laughing for me gets me through every like anything it's my way of just like in, if I'm enjoying something I'm doing it well and if I'm not then then I'm not and find a way where whatever it is you're trying to do whatever it is you're talking about especially if it's a topic that's difficult and that a lot of people are shying away from and and it's not it's not a glamorous job like we we always say I'm surprised we haven't been egged yet because like it's not everyone wants to hear what we have to say and that's fine but have your own mechanisms of like making a really difficult topic fun for you like that's not to trivialize it that's not to glamorize it it's to make it like to make you cope like and yeah so for me that's it work somewhere I have so much fun when I'm at work work 
<laughs> like I have so much and it doesn't feel like you know that really cheesy thing of like oh it doesn't feel like I've worked like a day where it's like well no it does because we work really hard <laughs> but we also have a really good time and to do that about topics and people feed off that the, like people we work with young people can tell that they feed off that energy of like wow you really love what you do and you're really happy doing these really like difficult things and so it makes them care and it want because they're seeing people who are happy talking about really difficult issues so it's not that you're scaring them and you're not you're bringing it to them and being like this isn't a really awful big scary topic this is something that like I'm doing and, and I'm happy doing it so they really feed off that so yeah I definitely say find something that find a way of making something difficult enjoyable whatever that is for you <laughs> <laughs> no I think that's a, a great way to put it because I think people can always see when you're passionate about something and I think it just helps get your point across so much better and I guess my last question is what do you see next for bold voices so much do we have another hour (laughs) (laughs) Um, we we have we're we're growing the team all the time which is really exciting particularly like our facilitator base so we can do more of what we do in schools which is amazing um but I guess the other main thing is we have this ambassador program which we talked about earlier where the pupils lead um and our our real focus for next academic year so from September is to um focus on how we can scale that because that for us is our most kind of like exciting project Mm. of like how young people can take the lead on creating change in their schools um so for us that's I think that's our big like big next year step but I think we're also just catching our breath as well from this year (laughs) there's a there's a moment (laughs) of like wow it's been an amazing year so far um since I guess literally like full coming up to International Women's Day like a full year since then and and we've worked with so many young people so many schools so celebrating that and Yeah. yeah and keeping on keeping on building and doing what we're doing yeah that sounds great so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast I've really enjoyed talking to you guys and I think it will really help other people sort of open their eyes to I guess gender-based violence and you know sexual violence and all that stuff (laughs) Um, but yeah so thank you so much thank you for having us I'd like to say a huge thank you to Natasha and Yosh for highlighting how much more our schools could be doing and talking about gender-based violence. I'd also like to thank them for opening my eyes on how representation for young people really needs to be in the media that they consume. So not just TV and films like we usually think of, but in social media, in TikTok, in YouTube. We now all know people that don't even own a telly. Their whole lives are are on social media. And these are the areas we need to look at creating more representation. I'd also like to thank Natasha for talking us through how she built Bold Voices and how committed she was to this cause and and saw that there needed to be change in this area and the steps that she took to making that change. I also think our conversation on how parents can have this conversation with their own children was very interesting as it can feel like such a big and scary topic but actually it's a very important one and if your child's ready 
have that conversation with them and it doesn't have to be as scary as what we think it might be. I also love the fact that Bold Voices do pupil-led programmes where they're taught to create change in their own schools. I think this is such a useful and important skill to have as that's something they can take with them for the rest of their lives and they can see situations that they may not be happy with and they can they now have the skills to see how they can create change in the environment that they're in. So thank you so much again to Natasha and Yosh for having such an interesting conversation with me and teaching me so much. I'd highly recommend that you go check them out. Their website is boldvoices.co.uk or check out their Instagram at hearthisboldvoice. You'll find so much useful information and definitely check it out if you have a young person in your life or you're a teacher or you work at a school. So thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just there for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work For Good. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with smaller businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. I also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksamit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk, Forest for Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Thank you all for listening. Bye.